Thanks, Marguerite. I'm not surprised the lights are flickering a bit. I drove back from uh, to South of Aladulla last night, had to dodge a couple of trees, and the, the wind was really howling. Um, one, one moment, actually, I came around a corner, there's like a bush hanging across the road, and you know that life flashing before your eyes moment? It wasn't quite that bad, but it was, yeah, it was pretty harrowing. Um, imagine, it sounds pretty grim, but imagine if you, di- you died, right? But before you went to heaven... God gave you a few weeks just to come back and see some people. That's pretty much what's happening here, really, isn't it? I mean, uh, what would you do? Who would you see? What would you say? Would you try and tie up, tie up some loose ends? Uh, would, you, would you try and deal with some unfinished business? Patch up a relationship here and there? Maybe you just want one more, one more great surf. Or one more pizza, one more family meal, one more day at the office. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, I think it would reveal, though, whatever we chose to do, I think it would reveal what are the highest priorities in our hearts. And uh, today we're looking at this unique moment in history after Jesus has has been raised from the dead, but before he ascends permanently to, to the right, Father's right hand in heaven. It's 40 vitally important days in history because Jesus says things and does things at this little moment that impact the life of every person who follows him today. So let's pray and then we'll look at what Jesus says and does. His top priorities before returning to his Father in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, please open our minds to understand the scriptures that point us to you and give us everything we need for true life and godly living. Amen. Remember, we're at the end of Luke, but remember back halfway through we got to chapter 9 and Jesus has that mountaintop experience. He met Moses and Elijah and, and spoke about his departure. The exact words are on the screen behind me. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Departure, it literally means exodus. Uh, it doesn't mention the cross or the resurrection, although I'm certain that was part of their discussion. Imagine Moses recalling his exodus, leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land after sacrificing the the Passover lamb to to cover their sin. Imagine Jesus replying that he was about to lead God's people out of slavery to sin and he would be the Passover lamb, sacrificed to take away our sin. But verse 31 emphasises his departure. And I, I wonder whether Moses might have talked about passing the baton on to Joshua before his departure. And Elijah passing the baton on to Elisha before his departure. And now Jesus, the time has come for his departure, and he's about to pass the baton on to his disciples. His mission is complete. Their mission and ours is about to begin here in this passage. What does he say? What does he do to pass the baton on? Uh, If you're a note taker, I've got four clear points. There's a detailed outline on the back of your bulletin. 
Uh, so you can use that space there if you are a note taker. And I commend note taking. I've always been a, a note taker. It's just because I've got a terrible memory. Point number one, the whole Bible points us to Jesus. Now, without looking, can anyone tell me what the uh, title of our Luke series has been? Fulfilled Amongst Us. Very good. Very good. Uh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, Luke continually highlights this theme of fulfillment. And Jesus' last words here, see in verse 44, Luke puts the, uh, the theme of fulfillment in Jesus' own words. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me, Jesus says, in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Now, those three parts are the three divisions of the Hebrew Old Testament. The law of Moses, first five books. The prophets, which began with uh, Joshua, tracking right through all of the prophets. And then the Psalms began what was known as the wisdom writings. And the Psalms began that. So he's really saying all of the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. Of course, we've now got the, the New Testament and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They tell us about the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And then everything after the Gospels is pointing us back to Jesus. Jesus is central to the whole of the Scriptures, which means that when we read any part of the Bible, the Old Testament or the New Testament, which I hope is often, we should be asking ourselves, how does this point me to Jesus? He's central to all of Scripture. And remember, reading the Bible is not merely an academic exercise. We use our, our skills of literacy, of course, but it's a heart exercise as well as a head exercise. In fact, we cannot understand it rightly without Jesus' help. And that's why we see verse 45. Uh, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is what I just prayed before we began looking at it. Such an important thing to remember. So how do we apply that to our lives? Ask. Ask him to help us understand the scriptures that point us to him and read with our head and our heart engaged. Point number two, if you're taking notes, he gave his followers a job to do. Look at the next couple of verses. Uh, verse 47 and 48. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. Acts 1.8, which was read earlier, put it this way. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, one of my joys during the week is teaching scripture and we have memory verses. That was one of them once upon a time. And who's really good at memory verses? Like just memorizing portions of Scripture. Okay, I see one hand. Good on you. But if you can sing it, it's so much easier. So that's what we do in Scripture. It goes like this. That's really attitude. Better. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You have to do the r on the r. In Jerusalem, in Judea, 
Notice I didn't sing into the mic because it's been recorded. Um, <laughs> you'd be my witnesses. Now, they were his witnesses in uh, Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. I mean, if we track into the book of Acts, amazing. And to the ends of, uh, well, almost the ends of the Roman Empire. But we're a part of that, aren't we? Taking that, um, that great news about the Lord Jesus to the ends of the earth. Notice three things. Firstly, it's a global mission. It's a global mission. I have many friends who have deliberately gone to other countries to tell people about Jesus. And I commend such an idea to any of you, especially the the young ones, younger ones among us. But we need to make sure that we're active in sharing our faith where we are right now. No point in relocating ineffectiveness. First point, it's a global mission. Secondly, we're witnesses. We're not religious experts. We're not speculators about things we haven't really experienced. We're not silent either. A witness shares what they know from what they've experienced. What we know comes from God's word. And what we've experienced comes from our personal relationship with God through Christ. And I think there's an important distinction to make at this point. And that is that we're witnesses but not eyewitnesses. If you look at verse 46, none of us actually saw Jesus suffer and die and, and rise on the third day. But they did. The ones Jesus was speaking to did. And those eyewitnesses spoke boldly about what they'd seen and heard. And under the direction of the Holy Spirit, they wrote it down for us. We call it the New Testament. It all points us back to Jesus, what his death and resurrection means for our lives, which means that when we speak about Jesus as witnesses, we can speak with great confidence because we have the eyewitness accounts. And then we can speak with our own personal experience of a life changed by that gospel. The whole theme of eyewitnesses was so important to Luke. Remember how he started his whole gospel account? Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And at the end of his intro, he says, and this is so that we may have certainty of the things 
that have been taught. See, if you've got lots of eyewitnesses and their testimonies are the same, it's all matching up, you've got absolute certainty about what's happened. Which I, I guess for us now, if many of us are sharing uh, our knowledge of the truth of the gospel from his word and sharing our experience of a changed life because of it, and lots of us are doing that, that's going to have a greater impact on those around us. Oh, so-and-so told me the same story. You know, matching stories about the difference Jesus made in our lives. Great to do. Third thing is uh, on this point is, as his witnesses, the content of our message is the New Testament, which I've pretty much said. Verse 47, Jesus sums it up. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. In other words, turning away from sin, and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins which he bought with his blood is the gospel news. Beware of the temptation, however, to not talk about sin. Now, you can use various words, but as long as the concept of sin is clearly understood, it has to be. Beware of trying to say, share anything about Jesus without talking about repentance, without talking about turning away from sin. If you've got no sin, if you've got no repentance, then forgiveness means absolutely nothing. It's so important that we be a faithful witness with the truth that God's given us in his word. Point number three that I, I see in this passage in verse 49 is this, that Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to give us power. Verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What a fabulous way of describing it. It's fabulous. Acts 1.8 explains in a bit more detail that the source of that power is God's Holy Spirit. Center and dwell our hearts. We're clothed with power. And God's Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. Wonderful picture. Um, I don't know if you're a, a person that really likes superheroes. Um, when I was younger, you know, uh, there's a few on the screen. Um, I, I kind of like all the individual ones, but I like the, the Incredibles. Like a whole family of superheroes. How cool is that? They've each got their own, uh, their, their own uh, superpower. Um, and if you could have a superpower, what would it be? You want to think about that? Well, the, the superpower, if I can stretch the metaphor, uh, the superpower that God gives us by his spirit is twofold. And none of those superheroes up there exhibit these two superpowers which God gives to us. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to give us the power to obey Jesus. By his death on the cross, he has defeated the power of sin and death. And he gives us his spirit so that we can live lives that honour his name. He's given us the power to obey Jesus. Secondly, and we see this especially in Luke's sequel, the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to tell other people about Jesus. The power to obey and the power to tell. And friends, remember what Jesus said when he was teaching about prayer back in Luke 11, verse 13. 
If you then, though you are evil, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How fabulous is that? Again, what do we need to do? Ask. Ask. Ask him to help us understand the scriptures. Ask him to give us his Holy Spirit to bring out those superpowers in us. Obeying Jesus, telling people about Jesus. Fourth point, if you're taking notes, Jesus blesses people. And so should we, if we're going to be like him. In the last few verses, it's a fascinating little bit here. Jesus leads his disciples to Bethany. Uh, remember, just over 40 days earlier, they were in Bethany and Jesus got a couple of them to go into Jerusalem to get a donkey. Now they're back in Bethany. It's only about 7 k's from uh, uh, Jerusalem. And this time, near Bethany, he blesses them. He blesses them. What a wonderful final memory of his physical presence being blessed by Jesus so appropriate I mean that's what he came uh, to do we've seen the the theme of fulfillment all the way through Luke's gospel go right back to Genesis chapter 12 God's promise to Abraham and the bit that directly speaks of Jesus through your offspring through your seed all nations will be blessed And here he is, his final act in his physical presence on earth, blessing those who followed him. Think about it. Without his appearances after the resurrection and this special moment, the disciples' final memory may have been the bloodied body on the cross. Or for a few of them, the the empty tomb with just linen cloths lying flat. But he is gracious and brings comfort, certainty and joy to his followers. Friends, what's your picture of Jesus? We often focus on the cross and rightly so. We often focus on the resurrection and rightly so. But here, just before his ascension, we have a picture, a right picture of Jesus with loving arms raised, blessing his followers. And he blesses all who follow him. Do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you experience and see the evidence of that in your daily life? I think we do well to start each day asking him to bless us. It's worth thinking about the way we say hello and goodbye as well. They're important moments in any relationship. They're the first impression and the last impression. How do you start and finish with people? Is it a warm hello? A handshake, a hug perhaps? Do you get eye contact and give them your real attention as as another human being made by God to bear his image? Do you listen to them? It's devastating for the the person when a, a loved one has died unexpectedly and many people in that situation carry the pain of knowing their last interaction was a bad one. 
Why not ask God to help you change the way you begin and end moments with people so that these precious moments might become moments of blessing. God, through you, blessing whoever you happen to be with. Or look at Jesus. He didn't just say, catch you later. All right, I'm out of here. He took the time to express his genuine affection for those he loved. And his final interaction is there in verse 51. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. That was their final picture of Jesus in the flesh. A saviour who loved them enough to die for them. More than that, one who is now their risen Lord and blessed them to the very end. Is that the picture you have of Jesus? Arms raised to bless you. I thought about this and you know, Jesus desires to bless us far more than we want to be blessed by him. Ask him. Share daily life with him. Let him lead you. He is our Lord. What a great picture. But it's not quite the end of the story. His leaving at this point was decisive. Since the resurrection, he's appeared quite a few times. But this one was different. They weren't left wondering if he'd appear at another meal or another walk along the road. The disciples knew Jesus was going and they would not see him or walk beside him ever again in that physical way. But their reaction at this moment shows just how well Jesus had prepared them for it. These are the last two verses of Luke's book. Look at them on the screen there. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continual at the temple praising God. Worship, obedience, because he told them to go back to Jerusalem, even though it was a pretty dangerous thing to do after the uh, death and resurrection. Joy and praise. They knew that the future without Jesus' physical presence beside them was going to be even better somehow because of the new age of the Holy Spirit, not beside them but indwelling them, was about to begin. That's a great launch for the book of Acts, isn't it? It'd be, be great to just like, zoom straight into a, a series on the book of Acts. We're not going to do that. Uh, but the amazing transformation that occurs in his followers is phenomenal. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, we've spent most of our time focusing on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In these closing verses, Luke draws our focus onto where Jesus is now. And it would be great benefit for us, I think, just in these closing moments, to remind ourselves of what Jesus is doing now. Because I think if we grasp this, we're less likely to fall into doubt and, and disillusionment or discouragement like the disciples uh, immediately after Jesus' death. I think we're more likely to be like his disciples here, full of worship, obedience and joyful praise. And I think the ascension is the least considered part of the work of Christ. But it's in both our readings uh, t- 
today. So I just want to give a really brief outline of what Jesus is doing now. And if you're taking notes and you want some Bible verses, I can give them to you later. They're scattered throughout the, the, the New Testament. That's the testimony of the eyewitnesses. Um, but uh, let me just give you five quick points. Five quick points. What's Jesus doing now? Number one, he's ruling at God's right hand. He's ruling at God's right hand. Secondly, he's sending the Holy Spirit to all who have faith in Jesus. He sent the Holy Spirit on that great day of Pentecost, but he continually sends the Holy Spirit to all who have faith in Jesus. Thirdly, he's preparing a place for all who trust him. That wonderful passage in John 14 comes to mind. Fourthly, he's pleading our case. He ever lives to intercede for us. He's our great high priest. And fifthly, he's waiting for his own return. The moment the Father says, go, he's back to judge the world and to take all those who trust in him to be with him forever. What a wonderful moment that will be. Friends, now, right now, we live by faith in the Son of God who lived, who died, who was raised up to life again and who ascended into heaven where he now rules with the Father, intercedes uh, for us on our behalf, but will come again one day in great glory. And at that time, we will no longer live by faith, but by sight. With that thought in our minds, let's pray. Dear Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Most clearly seen in Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection and ascension to your right hand. Thank you for your Holy Spirit whom you sent to live in the hearts of all who trust in you. By your Spirit, please clothe us with power to be more like Jesus in our character, our thoughtfulness of others, our attitudes, our devotion to you, and give us the power to speak of Jesus and the difference he's made in our lives. Please help us to be faithful witnesses for Jesus at home, work, school, wherever we are. And lastly, Lord, I want to pray for anyone here this morning who does not yet know you and the power of your Spirit in their hearts. Please enable them to understand the Scriptures. Enable them to see their desperate need to turn from sin and receive the complete forgiveness you offer us because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Help them and each one of us to receive you and all the blessings you offer us with open and grateful hearts. Amen.